we've been going through the book of Acts, we've been going verse by verse looking at um, the story of the early church. And this week we are in Acts chapter 13, looking at verse 4 to 12, the title of my sermon this morning is on mission for the Lord. But here in Acts chapter 13, we really at a turning point. We had a turning point in this whole book. It is what Winston Churchill would have called one of the hinges of history. And it marks the beginning of the third phase of our Lord's Great Commission. If you remember in the opening chapter of the book of Acts, before the Lord descended into the heavens, Jesus said to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, that they would receive power after the Holy Spirit had come upon them, and that they would be witnesses of Jesus. And then in that verse, he outlined geographically how that witness would happen, how that witness would proceed, beginning in Jerusalem, then in Judea, and then in Samaria, and finally, the uttermost parts of the earth. And in chapter 13, we meet the beginning of this last phase, the going out to the uttermost parts of the earth. So, this is also the beginning of the... <laughs> are, you, are you listening? <laughs> Got your attention? Okay. okay, the beginning of the apostleship of Paul. <laughs> so, after this time, we have, um, we have seen his call to be an apostle when he was converted on the road to Damascus, but he's never really acted as an apostle until this chapter. Um, 11 or 12 years have, have passed after the apostle's conversion, and now he begins to fulfill the ministry to which he was called as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So let's read Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 4 to verse 12. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for this book of Acts that we have been studying. 
that really records for us the, the acts of the Holy Spirit, but also the acts of the apostles as the first churches are planted in the New Testament. Lord, it's been exciting to see how the Spirit has moved, how the power of the Spirit has changed people's lives, how the power of the, the gospel has changed even cities and even cultures for your glory. And we are excited to learn how we as a church, Lord, could be involved in this wonderful mission that you have given to your church. So we pray that you would help us to understand this morning, that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, but also that you give us minds to understand what you would have us do and what you would have us as, as a church respond in a way that would honor you. So Lord, we pray for your blessings upon us this morning, and we ask that you would teach us. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So according to the to ITM World Mission magazine, since 1974, there have been an average of 85 churches closing in Britain each year. Church buildings are being used as offices. Church buildings are used as cinema houses, mosques, and warehouses. And all of the church furnishings in these closed-down church buildings are being sold and made available to commercial enterprises. So the article I read said that christening fonts are being used as bird baths, carved screens are in service as restaurant decorations, pews are being made into garden seats, and stained glass windows are serving as business and household ornaments. Now we recognize that there is no spiritual value in, in furniture or church ornaments, and as sad as it is to see those glorious cathedral standing tomb silent as the, as the plaster cracks and falls from their, their beautiful architecture. For me, the saddest part is to realize that once where holy words of God were read, where they were sung, where they were prayed, and where they were taught in these buildings are really now being used for car washes and, and cinemas you think about it, it could really bring you to tears. And what has happened to these churches that these buildings are no longer used for the gathering of the saints? Well, let me remind you this morning, church, that we are part of the most important work in the world today. And the work gets more urgent every single day. How are we going to get the job done? How do we fulfill the very purpose for which we have been called as a church? And today, as we look at these scriptures, we see some of the essentials that we need as a church to be able to fulfill the mission that the Lord has called us to perform. First, in order to be fruitful, for us to be effective in the mission that the Lord has given to us, we need to have a strong commitment to spread God's word. And that is my first point this morning in verse 4 and verse 5. We need a strong commitment to spread God's word. So look in your Bibles, if you would, at verse 4. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at 
Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. So here we see as Paul and Barnabas begin their mission, we saw last week that they were sent out by the church for this particular mission. But now we see the beginning of this mission in verse 4 and 5. But again, we are reminded of the essential need for the Word of God to be taught. And what a priority that was for them as they went out as missionaries to be proclaiming, teaching the very Word of God. We see in verse 5, when they arrived in Salamis, what did they do? They dug wells, right? No, what does it say? They preached the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They set out on this mission to Cyprus. Now, Antioch was a city on the river. It was about 16 miles inland. And they set sail from Antioch. And they traveled up the river next to the port Seleucia, where they find themselves now. So here, they, again, they traveled about 60 miles by a boat to Cyprus. And Cyprus was, and still is, a, a large island. And their reason for being on the island of Cyprus was to speak the word of God. It was to preach the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we know from last week that these men were skilled at teaching the word. And they arrive, and this is what we see them doing. They were doing everything they could so that they could spread the word of God. They went on a on a hard journey, they went on a journey that wasn't comfortable, so that they could share the gospel. That was their intent. The primary focus of any mission, when it comes to the Great Commission, when it comes to sharing Christ, is to share the gospel, isn't it? That is our first and primary mission. Now, we can have ministries of mercy, and I'm not saying those are wrong, where people go and give food or where people dig wells or where people give clothes to the poor. I'm not saying those are wrong. But our primary mission and objection should be to make sure these people hear the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We cannot fulfill the mission of our Lord Jesus without sharing the gospel. God's word will accomplish what he intends it to accomplish. We are not just a charitable organization. We are a church that has a mission to spread the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the power of our mission is in the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Charles Spurgeon was one of the great preachers of the 1800s. And one morning he asked the Lord to direct him in what he should read for his morning devotions. And he was strongly moved to read the book of Joel, one of the minor prophets in the Old Testament. And when Spurgeon came to Joel chapter 3, verse 3, he read, They have cast lots for my people, have given a boy in exchange for a harlot, and sold a girl for wine, for they make, that they may drink. Sounds like a commentary on today, but the Holy Scripture really impressed on Spurgeon's heart to to look at the word girl that he saw there in this passage. And the, the preacher was curious about this, this word, and he checked in his concordance to see that the word girl is only used once in the whole Bible, there in Joel chapter 3, verse 3. 
Later on that same day, Spurgeon decided to take a walk. And he had gone about a block and a half when he looked up to see a certain house. And Spurgeon knew that a radical atheist lived in this house. And this hard-hearted believer was very cruel and ugly to anyone who believed the Bible. But Spurgeon really felt moved by the Lord to knock on his door and try and speak to this man about the gospel. And in a growling voice, this atheist asked, Well, what do you want? And Spurgeon replied, Well, I'd like to read the Bible to you. And the atheist began his usual abuse, but then suddenly he thought of a trick and he stopped and he asked Spurgeon, Well, tell me how often the word girl is used in the Bible. And Mr. Spurgeon immediately was able to answer, once. And then the surprised atheist said, well, tell me where it is found and I will let you inside and then we can talk about the Bible. And then again, without delay, Spurgeon answered, well, that's Joel chapter 3 verse 3. And the shocked atheist says to Spurgeon, before I let you in, how did you know that? And Mr. Spurgeon answered, well, I haven't known it for two hours. He said, in the morning devotions, I read the book of Joel, and I studied that, and I discovered that this morning. And the atheist let Spurgeon in, and in half an hour, this atheist was on his knees asking God to forgive his sins. True story. Well, how did this happen? How did this happen? Well, obviously, we cannot deny the supernatural hand of God working through the infallible Word of God, right? God's Word still works like this today. It even works on atheists today. But there are many people in our world like that, which the next part of our text shows us. And I hope you see our confidence mustn't be in our, our own personalities or our own abilities. Our confidence needs to be in the very Word of God. If we are going to reach people with the truth. But here we see in our next portion... We also need to have a strong courage to face our opposition. We see this in verse 6 to verse 8. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, the Bible says, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And he was the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed him, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Well, here the missionaries get to Paphos, and they encounter two very different type of men. They meet a man by the name of Bar-Jesus, and his name means Elymas, as we see in the commentary there. But the prefix of his name is Bar, which is Aramaic for the word for son, much like in, um, in um, Arabic we have the word Al, isn't it? Eh? Son of. Bin, sorry, there we go. Bin, bin, son of, okay? In Aramaic it is Bar, son of. So Barnabas, as we've seen before, he is son of um, encouragement. But Bar Jesus was 
Well, what it means is the son of Jesus. Well, Jesus was a common name in the culture at the time. And the word Jesus was the same as Joshua. And we know from the Old Testament, Joshua means Savior. So his name meant son of a Savior. But this was a different type of Jesus that we know about. Completely different. We see in the passage that this was a, he was a false prophet. He was a magician. Now, he wasn't the type of magician that pulls bunnies out of a hat or flowers out of his, his sleeve. Those are illusionists, and we enjoy their sleight-of-hand tricks. This is what the Bible calls a magician as someone who is involved with black magic or someone who is involved with the occult. And it shows us another incident of, really, the supernatural conflict in the spiritual realm that was happening here in the early church. We already saw it with Simon the magician who wanted to purchase the, the power of the Spirit of God so that he could add it to his range of magic. And we will see it again in chapter 19 with the, the seven sons of, of Sceva. But this is the spiritual opposition to the gospel taking place in the human realm. This is spiritual warfare. This is real, tangible spiritual warfare happening. Now, Bar Jesus seems to be, um, his occupation is some type of a counselor to the governor. And he had a position of influence. Um, he was probably financially um, able to gain from this position. And he quickly realized that if the proconsul, if Sergius Paulus accepted the gospel, that would mean that he was unable to influence him any longer. He was unable to access this important and powerful man, and his profit would no longer be there, financially. So, of course, out of selfish reasons, he seeks to turn the proconsul away from the truth, away from the gospel. Now, most people who oppose the gospel, we know, do this for selfish reasons, isn't it? Often the person realizes that if, well, the gospel is true, then we need to repent of our sin. And then, because we repent of our sin, we can no longer enjoy that sin, right? Well, he knows that if he becomes a Christian, he will have to give up his, his shady business practices. And it, will, it will cost him. It will cost him dearly. And since he likes the things he can do and buy with his money, he rejects the gospel. If you think of people who, who militantly argue for Evolution, if you think of their reasoning, I think it has to do with, with selfishness. Some of them, some of the arguments against creation are, are really quite um, ludicrous if you think about it, when they try and defend evolution. But the point of their arguments is really selfish. If they have to admit that there is a creator who created us, then they have to bow the knee to the God of all creation. And that is why they don't want to do that. Whatever the surface objections to the gospel are, the root reason always is that the person wants to be their own God. They don't want to worship the true and the living God. The lesson we need to learn here is that when we share the gospel, we are engaging the enemy of our souls. We are engaging him in spiritual warfare. And spiritual opposition to the gospel is real. It is real. It is not just 
doesn't just happen in books or in movies. It is very real. And because of this, we need to be prepared. Because of this, we need to be ready. We must have courage, and we need to be prepared to do spiritual battle. And how are we prepared? Well, that's my last point in verse 9 to 10. To be prepared for the spiritual battle, we need strong confidence in God. Now, in these verses, when Paul sees that Bar Jesus is a, a false prophet, and he sees that he's trying to turn Sergius Paulus from receiving Christ, we see he gives him a blistering rebuke here. And if you didn't see this, this rebuking in the Bible, you might think, well, this, this shouldn't be in the Bible. But it is, isn't it? It is in the Bible. Paul gives this rebuke in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we could launch off here into Ephesians chapter 6 and talk about our spiritual armor. But that would lead to a whole different series of messages. And I think Luke here is is recording this for us. He, he here states that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit before he launches off into this rebuke, as we see in verse 9. And in order to rebuke somebody in the power of the Spirit, he needed the, the power of the Spirit in order to do this. This was, a, this was not just a, a small task. There was the deceiver in front of him who was trying to deceive people and turn people away from the very gospel. To be filled with the Spirit means to be under the Spirit's control. To be filled with the Spirit means to be filled with the Spirit's control, under the Spirit's control. It means that we don't act in a selfish way. It means that we're not acting in a self-will. Since we're also ready to act in self-will, we, we need to be careful. Especially when we're confronting people with the truth. We don't do this in our own power. We need to be willing to check our hearts and make sure that we are filled with the Spirit of God when we do this. Any motives for our own glory to prove that we are right or to win an argument or to tear down someone else so that we will look good is not really from the Holy Spirit, is it? When we're sharing the gospel, we need to make sure that we are filled with the Spirit of God. Notice there in verse 9, Paul says, Luke says, Paul has this look about him. It says in verse 9 that he looks intently at Bar Jesus. Intently. He gives him the look, isn't it? Now you, my mom had that look, okay? When we were in a public place and I was doing something foolish, she didn't even have to say a word. She just had to look at me. And I knew what she was saying. Some of you can relate to that. Uh, but Paul gives Bar Jesus this this look, this blistering look before he gives him this rebuke. And in his rebuke, he identifies by Jesus in three ways. Look at verse 10. First he says, you are a son of the devil. Now I hope you see the irony here. What is his name? His name is Bar Jesus, son of Jesus. Um, son of Joshua, son of salvation. Now we know he didn't take the title with reference to Christ, but he was posing as Someone who, who was going to show people the way of salvation. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You are the opposite to your name. You are not the son of salvation. You are the son of the devil because you're leading people away from the truth, not towards the truth. And secondly, he says to him, you're an enemy of all righteousness. 
He doesn't say, well, you're mistaken. He doesn't say you misguided. He doesn't say, let's agree to disagree. He says, you're an enemy of all righteousness. You've got some serious, erroneous beliefs. He says, you're an enemy of all righteousness. Because he's diverting people away from the true righteousness that is found in Jesus Christ alone. Because of that, he was an enemy of righteousness. Thirdly, he says, you're full of all deceit and you're full of all villainy. You're not telling the truth. You're looking out for your own interests. Now, the word deceit there is used um, to describe a snare, to catch an animal, a trap or, or bait, to hook a fish. And the Greek word for villainy also means fraud or reckless or the loosening of all ethical restraints. So here, Elimus has posed as bar Jesus, but he was far from a son of the Savior. He was really the son of the devil. He was a deceiver, turning people away from the truth. And then Paul asks him this question. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? In other words, we are seeking to lead people to the truth. We are seeking to lead people down the path, the right path, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're coming in and confusing the situation, making the, the straight, plain path crooked so that they cannot come to the, the truth. He says you're bringing in confusion, you're bringing in deception. And there is a way that leads to life, and there is a way that, that leads to destruction. And by Jesus, you are leading people to their destruction. And then Paul issues a, a judgment upon him. There's a darkness or a mist that comes upon him, and he's blind temporarily. Um, and of course, this is so that he can move out the way, so that he can really consider what he was doing, so that he wouldn't interfere with the work of the gospel that was happening at that very moment. We need to be careful, folks. I think one application that we can make here is that we don't want to be guilty ever of being about Jesus. We don't want to be guilty of standing in the way of the truth. We don't want to be guilty of leading people down the wrong path. And Satan uses deceit here, notice, to undermine the very work of the gospel. He uses deceit to undermine the necessity of the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, in our day, there is a, a resurgence of spirituality. But it is a, a spirituality that doesn't lead to righteousness. It is a spirituality that leads to death. Because it is a spirituality without the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners. It's a spirituality where each person makes up truth according to his own likes and dislikes. Just this week we were talking about a, a guru in India, Swami Vivekananda, who shares and teaches, or used to teach, that all the, the, the rivers lead into the ocean. In other words, all religions are the same. All religions will lead you into heaven as long as you are sincere. Now that sounds very spiritual, doesn't it? But there is deception there, folks. That type of spirituality leads to destruction. Because it doesn't talk 
about the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ for sinners. We take away part of the gospel, we take away all of the gospel. We need to be careful that we don't water down the gospel because of reasons that we, 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 we try to be friendly to people or we, or we don't want to offend people or we, we don't want to make enemies. We need to be faithful with the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In an article in the Reader's Digest from 2001, the author tries to give evidence that faith contributes to physical healing. But it doesn't matter what your faith is in. He says, for example, Hindus in India who pray regularly have 70% less heart disease than those lacking such faith. Again, sounds nice, doesn't it? But this is deception, folks. This is satanic deception. This causes people who read articles like this to think that, well, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you have some type of a faith, as long as you have a faith, you, you're going to live a healthy life. You're going to be fine. You're going to be better than those that don't have faith. That road leads to destruction. That type of philosophy leads straight to hell. And I think the point of Luke here recording this interaction is to show us again, as he has many times already, is that the Word of God wins. The Word of God wins. The Word has victory over evil and darkness, if we are faithful to it. Notice verse 12 then. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the miracles of Paul. Right? Does it say that? No. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Here, when Luke says that the proconsul was astonished at the teaching of the Lord, he may be including his amazement at his miracle, but he was amazed, it says there, at the teaching of the Lord. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 tells us, Light shall shine out of darkness. And that's exactly what had happened here. The light had shone into this man's heart to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what had happened because the word of God was faithfully preached. The light exposed the darkness. He understood what his sin was. And as a result of sharing the gospel, this man's eyes were opened to the simplicity of the straight way of the Lord. He was amazed. He was amazed at the grace of God. He was amazed at the, the love of Christ in going to the cross. It was, it was plainly and clearly explained to him. What ultimately led to the conversion of Sergius Paulus wasn't a supernatural display of power when by Jesus was blinded. What led to the conversion of Sergius Paulus was that he was astonished, he was amazed, at the teaching of the Lord, the very gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is where our confidence needs to be, folks. 
That is where our confidence needs to be. The gospel is our greatest weapon that God uses to save all who believe. If you go to Ephesians chapter 6 and you look at the spiritual armor there, everything except the sword is armor against the attacks, isn't it? The only weapon there is the sword. It is the two-edged sword. It is the power that we need in a battle against the spiritual forces. We can't go into a battle and use our helmet to try and to try and defeat the enemy. We need the sword, isn't it? We need the gospel of our Savior. We need the Word of God. We need to accurately handle the Scriptures. Clearly. I think what we learn from this encounter with our Jesus is that there will be opposition to the gospel. There will always be opposition to the missionary efforts of the church. And there will be difficulties and there will be roadblocks and there will be hardships that we encounter as we seek to fulfill the mission mandate that the Lord has given to us as a church. And opposition to the gospel must be expected. But if we are faithful and we want to be a church that is on mission for the Lord, if we are faithfully proclaiming the gospel, Opposition is a given. It can be expected. And that's true on a church level, but if you think about it, that's also true on an individual level, isn't it? Do you want me to tell you how to never be considered a fool by someone else? Or never share your faith? Do you want me to tell you how to never be rejected in the culture? Or never stand for righteousness on a, on a social stance, a social issue? Do you want me to tell you how to never be taken advantage of? Or never reach out to somebody to extend help to the needy? Do you want me to tell you how to never fail in Christian ministry? Or never step out in faith to attempt to win somebody's soul for the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you want me to tell you how to never have your heart broken? Or never give it away in a, in a real relationship of encouragement and love? Difficulties, hardships, failures, oppositions, they are given when it comes to the ministry of Christ. If you seriously follow Christ, and you seriously desire to serve Him, you will be open to a whole bunch of sorrows that the nominal Christian will never experience. But, you will also open yourself up to a whole bunch of triumphs and a whole bunch of joys and treasures that are also unknown to the nominal Christian. Let me finish here with a, an illustration. Gary Larson, maybe you recognize the name. He is a cartoonist who draws um, comics from the far side. Maybe you've seen those. In one of his cartoons, he has a picture of two deers. The one deer has a giant target on his chest. And the other deer says to him, Bummer of a birthmark, Ernie. <laughs> Maybe you're thinking at this point, well, if I'm going to get into a battle with Satan by presenting the gospel, I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. I'm not sure that I want to do that. I'm not sure I want to walk around with a, with a target on my chest. But of course, that is precisely the response that Satan wants you to have. That's 
precisely the response Satan wants you to have. To be fearful and paralyzed and do nothing with the gospel. He doesn't want the gospel to go out. Because he knows that God will use it to open people's eyes. He knows that God will use it to make the blind see. He knows that God will use it so that many will turn from their darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God. He knows this. He knows it better than we do. In some ways, he has more confidence in the gospel than we do. <laughs> God is not going to honor fear. God is not going to honor doubt. God is going to honor faith. And faith is at the heart of Christian life. It's at the heart of Christian living. It's at the heart of everything that we do. And if New Life Church, if we're going to be a fruitful, effective church, fulfilling our Lord's great mission, we need to have a strong confidence in our God and His gospel. We need to have a strong courage to face our opposition. We need to have a strong commitment to spread God's word. Remember what Paul said at the end of his life? He said, the Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And may we with Paul be able to say the very same at the end of our lives. Amen. Amen. God will help us to get the job done. Let's trust him to do it. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder that we are indeed in a spiritual battle. And we need to be intentional about the way that we live. We sang, Lord, songs of how we need to be holy. We pray that you would help us to be intentional this week so that we wouldn't sin and become paralyzed and fearful and, and useless when it comes to the kingdom of God. We pray this week, Lord, that we would intentionally take time to share the gospel with somebody that we come across this week. And Lord, that we would be intentional in reading our Bible so that we can become more and more equipped so that we can skillfully handle the word of truth when we are sharing the gospel with someone else, just like Charles Spurgeon did with that atheist. So Father, we know that you have plan for all of us and I pray that we would be faithful in fulfilling the plan that you have given to us. Not just individually Lord but corporately as a church. Lord, that we would grow in our love for the gospel. That we would grow in our confidence of the gospel. And we would grow in our response to the gospel as we share it with others throughout this week. So we pray for your help Lord. Again remind us of the centrality of the gospel. Remind us as we respond to you in song, the supremacy of the gospel, that our faith is in Christ alone. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name.